Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okie dokie. Here we go. And bish bosh bang. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. Here's a Canadian Dumpty Dum for you, all the way from Ottawa, Ontario. Ice being scraped off a windshield. Hopefully this works. Recording from phone onto computer. Rums. That kind of worked. <laughs> uh, folks, this is Dumpty Dum, the show about the reality docudrama that are centered on Ambridge in the heart of the militia. I'm the hospital T, who goes by the name of Royfield Brown. And alongside me, we have the single malt that is... Kerry Warbis. And last but not least, the horse chestnut coffee, who goes by the name of... Peter Fickling. And the last part of this liquid refreshment, folks, is you, our lovely listeners. This week's Dumpty Dum is from Amy in the frozen north, though. Sometimes we can call the Dominion of Canada. And on this week's episode, we hear views from Anna, first time caller in, or don't you know, Matthew Weir, Claire from Clapham, Glynn, full of love, Ambridge Coney Club, Cheryl, and Stephen. Uh, now, folks, it's our hot topic of the week. I've had a little bit of a realisation that one of my favourite characters isn't necessarily to everyone's liking. But as Eminem said, Slim Shady's back. Alan is back. And I put it to you, Peter and Kerry, that Alan Franks masquerades as a Christian. He could be a Buddhist. He could be a Hindu. He could be any one of the major religions. 
throws in the odd conversation about Jesus, but really it's all about courage, wisdom and compassion. Compassion for our fellow man. I put it to you, Alan Franks, when he comes on, it's a rip-roaring, philosophically deep and compassionate Archers. I put it to you that Alan is back. Without him, the Archers isn't quite the Archers. Kerry Warbis, what do you reckon? Mm, yeah, I think you have a point. He has helped Shula, hasn't he, this week? And not only Shula, but Chris. And he does bring a certain calmness to situations. And a, he's very sort of, um, you're right about the compassion. And sort of brings a kind of cool logic to a situation, I think. But what I'd, what I'd really like to know a bit more about, Alan, is more dimensions about him because he sort of pops up does this because Shula has contacted him he was um speak visiting a parishioner who was in hospital um and that's how he got then involved in seeing Chris and Alice but I think it might be worth finding out a bit more about Alan and his home life and what's going on there flesh him out more as a as a character well he's been defleshed funnily enough because I can't remember what the previous vicar's name was, but there was um, a real hoo-ha when she came into it in the 90s because she was a she, and some parishioners were upset about Um And then Alan came in with with a daughter and yeah. a mother-in-law, his black mother-in-law from, from Wolverhampton, and we've kind of lost all of um, his familiar relationships and of course he's mad to usher and what's happened to usher yeah what why has the defleshing happened i wonder why is he sunk into the background but just popping up at specific needed points i know good, you don't have question. the answer to that <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good question but pete you're infamously aren't one for religion um so <laughs> when when we have adam you know just pretending that he's uh yeah a man of the cloth, but really it could be a, a man of any major religion. Um, how do you feel about that? Do you think maybe there's a little bit too much God-bothering religion within the Archers? Uh, I, I, it's mm, There's more religion in the Archers than there would be, I think, in a, 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 a comparable village anywhere in the UK. Like, I mean, we're, we're, we're quite a secular country of the people who do sort of tick the box saying that they are, you know, of a religion. Um, I think we're quite low in attendance. The, pe- the people in the village are religious, so they do religious things. So if I want to listen to, you know, if I listen to the archers, I've got to accept that. I think that sometimes, I, see, I think sometimes, especially, you know, with, with Shula at the moment, it just, it just feels like it's sort of quite heavy handed. It comes in where it's not necessarily necessary. So for instance, um, you were saying that Alan's, uh, Alan's advice is often sort of um, general rather than specific, you know, sort of like plucked from the Bible. And the pastoral care that he gave to Chris in the hospital could have just as easily been done in his role as a friend. Mm. So if we are hearing about um, the religion, you know, let's hear let's hear something from the church. Let's hear. I said, for instance, I quite like the bits where it used, you used to hear Jenny um, gossiping as she was coming out of the church or um, some you know a scene from um, uh, um, a scene from the you know the bell ringing tower mm. or something so where actually the religion is acting as a kind of fulcrum for the conversation rather than just being some kind of existential sort of um, angst that Shula's suffering or uh, um, you know or, or, or an excuse to wheel Alan out because Alan's more interesting as a man than he is a vicar I think is, 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 yeah. is you know my opinion I'm just trying to work out you know 
how many people are going to church and will this kind of die out as the generations do? Yeah, that's a, that's a countrywide thing, yeah. isn't it? I used to live in uh, Peckham. You know, you cannot move for little kind of micro churches. Of a Sunday mm. morning, you can walk through the streets of Peckham and you'll hear a little sort of micro church over there, a little small church over there. And it's all evangelical, isn't it? So, you know, the evangelical church is on the rise, but the sort of um, C of E um, uh, kind of like, you know, um, yeah. loaves of bread baked to look like sheaths of wheat, um, you know, that, that sort of version is kind of dying out, I think. Mm. Yeah, sometimes I hear the church bells even in this uh, bit of Brighton on a Sunday morning and think, and I do wonder who is going. You know, Alan said to Shula, um, there has to be a moment when you commit. What What's your betting on whether she's going to go ahead and commit to the, oh, uh, uh, what's it called, vicaring thing? Ordination, that was the word I was trying Oh, I've now got to put in a, an Oscar-winning performance as person who cares about um, <laughs> <laughs> about Shula and her ordination. Um, Royful, can you summon any <laughs> any care for, you know, uh, Shula? I care her, about her it ending, the... you know, the decision or not decision. Oh, yeah. I wish that she would make her mind up quite soon, one way or the other. That would be great. But, yeah, yeah I, I, and so uh, Kerry, are you you are you a person of faith at all? Do you? No, I'm a hardened atheist. Yeah. Right. Okay. But yeah. have you ever been? Have you, are you, are you as a child? Did you attend church or anything? No, no. I went to a Catholic school um, in Yorkshire, but that was purely from for practical reasons when we moved yeah. up from here. And so your mum did the cliche thing of pretending to be religious for a few weeks no, no, to get no. your oh, no. bugged off. They would never do that. No, they actually went and met the head teacher and, and they were allowed a small percentage of non-Catholics into the school. So they had to kind of persuade them why my brother and I ought to go um, and be part of that small percentage. And they convinced them. And actually, I was the only one who got a GCSE in RE in my year. Oh. Everyone else and got what... CSE. <laughs> You grew up with your um, Jehovah's Witness and now you identify as Buddhist. Buddhist, is that right? Uh, weren't Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, half of my family, my mother's side of the family is Seventh-day Adventist. So they are the evangelical, God-bothering, very conservative black folk that you'll be um, seeing coming out of those micro churches on, mm. on a Sunday in Peck. Right. That's exactly who they are. So whenever you've said to me that, let's say, Shula, she mentions God a lot and she God bothers, I'm like, you, you have not hung out with uh, Seventh-day Adventists who okay. are utterly fanatical and every aspect of their life is determined by their faith, which arguably you say it should be. But considering that they're somewhat zealots and they brook absolutely no other um, view on religion other than theirs, they're utterly in, in, intolerable. And and that was one half of uh, you know my family, and still is, and still is. Having the the family that I have, there is no way that Shula Hebden Lloyd is is a god botherer. She, she isn't, and actually, she comes at religion completely the right way that's not to say that she's a wonderful character and that she's a superb person and that we and that we like her but her questioning of faith and herself is is very methodist is very c of e is very english uh her, her path to god as opposed to you know my seven day adventist evangelistic mm. intolerant 
families who yeah. it's all about certainty and if you do not believe what we believe you will burn in hell you know yeah that, so that's how fundamentally a worrying are. thing isn't it really yeah I, I did actually write down Shula's three questions because it just interested me what she was homing in on as her main things. And her three questions were, do I have the capability to deal with difficult people? Yes. You think she does? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think she's proven that, yeah. yeah. Uh, do I trust myself to make good judgment calls? Um, Not sure about that one. What do you think? Yeah, that, I think that's, that 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 says as much about the person answering that, uh, uh, as judging her as it does about her. Really, I mean, I, I might, my, th I think I might say no, but then you know, I'm massively biased. Mm. And the last one was: Am I prepared for the changed perceptions of me in my family and friends? Well, that can only be a good thing, surely. You would hope, wouldn't you? But I mean, yeah. Alan did address that the, the middle one, which is the more wobbly one where he just said, you know, you're not going to get everything right all the time, are you? You're going to get things wrong and learn from that and and have some a trust in yourself. So, Obviously, it's very important to her. She has to be certain of it. But I feel like she's done enough thinking about it now. Yeah, me too. You know, to, to anyone who's undergone uh, training to become a vicar or anyone who is a vicar, this I apologise, this might sound a bit trite, but, you know, I think it's a bit like, you know, when you you accept a new job and you've been through the interview process and you go to do the new job and it, no matter how confident you are, the first day there, you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to be found out, you know, mm. I'm going to be t this time I'm going to be terrible or, you know, and then you get stuck into it and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, it's like, um, you know, you're like riding a bike and you're back into it and you're, you know, performing adequately or whatever. That I think quite naturally she's nervous going into it, but, um, you know, ultimately how, how badly can it go wrong? She can't be worse than any of the vicars I had to deal with when I was a kid. Bloody awful. Um, but uh, but you know I um, you know I have played a part in creating a vicar, a very small part. I got a phone call, was it an email? I can't remember, saying would I be interviewed by a bishop to um, vouch for my ex-wife to become a vicar because obviously oh. there's issues around ending a marriage and stuff. Mm. So I ended up writing a kind of testimony on what a wonderful person she was because we you know we we we, we remained yeah. on um, good terms. So I have I have facilitated um, a vicar. Well done. I was just now imagining, will Alistair have to do similar then? That's a very good point. Yeah, I mean, I guess I... Well, I so, yeah, I guess if that was the rules for my ex-wife, then I guess she would mm -hmm. have to go through the same... And I hope Alistair would say the same thing. Like, you know, yes, our marriage ended, but she's a... Well, you know what Alistair would say. He'd say exactly well, no, what I said, which is yeah, she's, he's been well yeah. up to the job. Yeah, he's been extremely supportive of her journey hasn't he um and on, on on that note though i tell you what i just had a stunning realization oh i got married at saint stephen's oh. church there in you go in I bet, I bet. Uh, <laughs> it was notting hill but anyway it was it was saint stephen's oh. anyway and on that note folks um i think we should move on to caller inners Hello, Ambridge 3962. Uh, first off, it's the rather smart uh, cocktail maker who's big on the old flick app. It's Stephen. Hello, you two. Stephen here at Wenlock House on Twitter. I think we need to talk about Linda and what exactly this whole mystery business is all about. I think we can rule out the sort of mystery play in which a detective solves a crime. After all, we know that most minor crimes are committed by the Button Sisters. That's Molly, Tilly, Sally and Belly, with several more to come. While the more serious crimes, including several murders, were all committed by David. So not much scope for drama there. 
But whatever Linda is up to, it doesn't feel like a cycle of medieval mystery plays either. They were traditionally performed on wagons that rolled from place to place around town so that the audience could see them all without having to move very far. They were produced, directed and performed by the local guilds, and they covered everything from the creation to the Last Judgment. They weren't some bizarre grown-up version of a nativity play with a crucifixion crudely nailed on at the end. But what if all this fuss around the casting is just cover for something even more traditional and much more mysterious? I'm talking, of course, about the Eleusinian Mysteries, a set of secret fertility rituals possibly dating back to Mycenaean times three and a half thousand years ago that were conducted by an agrarian cult which recreated the story of the abduction and return of Persephone. There are some clear clues pointing at this explanation. Linda has named her goats after the two main characters, Demeter and Persephone. And while the details of the rites were kept secret for thousands of years, one of their greatest admirers was none other than Cicero. So Jim might well have been more than happy to provide Linda with Good useful heavens. background. Secrecy was at the heart of the Eleusinian mysteries, so Linda and Kirsty's view of Clary's behaviour is entirely justified. And as for the clincher, consider the angel that Kirsty describes shining out from Lakey Hill. What else could that be but a wicker man burning like a beacon above the village? So here's the plot prediction. Things are not looking good for Clary at the moment. Oh, my goodness. Clary burned to death on the top of Lakey Hill. Steve. She's not a virgin, though. Uh, this, you know, sometimes, Peter, you think that we look too deeply into the arch. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen has taken this to a marvellous new level, hasn't he? Yeah. I mean, yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, very, very briefly, I was hoping that he was going to correct um, Royfield on uh, Royfield's uh, a misstep about Cicero the, what, last week and the week before. But um, mm -hmm. what uh, misstep? So, uh, you said that Cicero was obsessed with um, Roman uh, Roman tradition, but of course you meant Greek tradition because uh, high etiquette, um, uh, high art, high culture in, in in Roman society was all based on a um, antiquated. Uh, and sort of romanticised sense of what Greek culture was, but anyway, um, oh, uh, Stephen will now call in. Stephen will now call in to correct. But uh, um... <laughs> <laughs> it has to be said, yes, the Romans um, had a fondness for for Greek classical culture, and down to their gods, they're all Romanized versions of, of Greek gods. However, Cicero was a big Latin snob, and Latin, as we understand it today, is Ciceronian. There you go. I kind of said that slowly to make sure that I said it correctly. You know, that's how important he was. It, this it, feels very dangerous because I know less than you, and you, I suspect that Stephen knows a lot more than you do. Hey, so listen, I feel like Stephen yeah. Bowden, on numerous occasions, because he does listen to my other podcast output, has corrected me on numerous times. <laughs> but the very fact that he has not said oh. that what I said about Cicero was incorrect. Uh, mm. I'm taken as I was spot on with the Cicero illusions, um, which I mentioned last week. Uh, but he yeah. doesn't often know his classical history and culture. But, just think maybe even Bowden, right? Okay, that that makes more sense now because I've seen him on Twitter. Yes. Yeah, he, he had a limited number of minutes and he couldn't fit in chastising you for being wrong <laughs> and his quality joke about the button. Oh, no, that, that would have been very quick. Yeah. It would have been very yeah. quickly. He could have just it said what was wrong about Cicero, but he didn't because he knows yeah. I was right. top-notch caller-innerer, though. 
Uh, yeah, mm. absolutely. And Roy, Royful just trampled on my elegant segue to the buttons. <laughs> awesome, um, smashing. <laughs> uh, but I uh, know I just they're, they're not they, they they when they whenever they're mentioned I get quite excited. I feel like they're, they're they are they're sort of off mic characters who mm. I want to become center. You know, to be fully fleshed out. Maybe they're going to be of age soon, and they will be able to come. You know, yeah. become fully formed characters. They're in the wings, aren't they? Yeah. They've been up to too much to just stay there forever, don't you think? Well, yeah, there's loads of people that it would be preferable to have in the episodes currently than some of them. <laughs> but that's always the case, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying to be on best behaviour today, Carrie. I know, I'm trying I know. absolutely desperately to be positive and, yeah. um, and sort of warm and affectionate about the archers. We're doing but, you know, okay you, so far, I think. Yeah, no, exactly. I, uh, I had Shula thrown in my path and I resisted. So you know, I, that did, was... I did think I did think you were rather measured with your response. So um, it was duly noted. It's been noted by all concerned. Uh, also you. noted uh, is that we have Claire from Clapham next. Hi, Dumpty Dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. I haven't called in for ages, so um, hope everyone's keeping well. And uh, thanks for keeping the show on the road, technology notwithstanding. In terms of this last rather dramatic week, I thought that it was interesting to see Chris finally sort of admit about how he was struggling with his feelings about Alice. They've always presented such a kind of loved up united front. Um, and I think the other thing that's interesting around this is now that there's a whole low, the increasing number of people who know about Alice, but are all sworn to secrecy separately. So like a few weeks ago, we had that weird conversation between I think Peggy and uh, Emma where they both knew about Alice but couldn't say so. And now mm. you're going to have Peggy and Alan possibly having a conversation where they both know about Alice but can't say so. Um, I wonder how many more people are going to have to know secretly without letting it on and any more of these awkward conversations we're going to have. Um, I mean, a lot of people made the very sensible point that Alice should be up front. She especially should be up front with her family. Otherwise, how is she going to get the kind of input that she needs? Plus... Denial is a massive addiction issue, and if you're not telling people the truth, then you're not really, you know, you're not really in recovery. Um, and I can't believe that she wasn't told that at detox. So um, they do need to sort stuff out and be open about it because they've got some issues ahead of them. And if they don't get that sorted, then I think they could end up as a starter marriage, which would be a shame because I think they had a really strong foundation to start with. Um, and they have relied on each other over time. And I just think it would be a shame to see that all falter. But, you know, they've got big things to deal with. Anyway, keep up the good work. Speak to you soon. Bye. God, nice one, Claire. People don't half pack a lot into this two minutes, don't they? Is it two minutes yeah. that they're given? Yeah. Um, I also really enjoyed, which is the wrong term, but you know what I mean, that Chris admitted that he's struggling and that he may come to if not already be doing so hate alice Mm. because he will blame alice for potential damage to little martha yeah it's very well written wasn't it it was yeah yeah and i thought you know a lot of the acting was very very good i thought this week in the omnibus the labor scenes were good i thought you know the actress who plays alice did really well there that must be so difficult to do the whole the whole thing has been very a lot more naturalistic recently, mm. and a lot of the kind of more 
over the top actors who've obviously been who've obviously been directed to be that way. So that's not you know mm. like you know the Grundys, for instance, um, uh, Lillian, Linda, who have often been quite pantomimish. But I've noticed over the last few months they've all sort of reined it in and been a yeah. lot more sort of um, you know yeah as I said naturalistic. Mm. Uh, but yeah, but Chris and Alice are you know doing a cracking job. Emma as well, the actress who plays Emma as well, yeah. she's very good. Um, but lots of the people who've been on on mic this week. Yeah, been very good. And Claire, you made a really good point about the increasing number of people who know about Alice, but individually, but can't actually reveal that to anyone else. Yeah, but this is a dam that's fit to burst at some point, isn't it? It's going to come spilling out, and and you know, Brian and Jennifer will find out somehow. I only, I only wish Alice would be the one who told them. Really, that's the irony. The only person who would probably blurt it out would be drunk Alice, like she did as um, Nick, um, Nick's uh, funeral. You know, she, she's, just, she's exactly the kind of person who actually maybe her sister Kate could be someone who could sort of blurt it out if she found it out, mm-hmm. found out. But you know, just sort of drunkenly um, tell the world. Yeah, poor Alan. You know. You... When something's told in confidence and yet you feel it would help to tell others, he, he's bound by his uh, position, isn't he, to not share that. Yeah. Um, what is it? There was, I read this, I read this fascinating, I know, um, fascinating article about this American priest who, who ratted on a paedophile and he'd sort of wrestled with his kind of okay. his duty to, his duty to the Lord and his duty to, um, duty to you know children he hadn't met and he mm. he went for the children he hadn't met um mm. or you know anyway i'm I, you know what i'm trying to say even yeah. if i didn't get that quite right but uh yeah i mean you know is he doing alice a fa- is he doing chris and alice a a, 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 a greater favor by betraying chris's mm. trust yeah um, i mean i'd you know i'd say the answer is yes but he won't do it though will he and ultimately will chris and alice actually split i mean that's going to run and run isn't it yeah, that's imagine. years. That's years in the making. Unless, unless they do. I mean, unless they do want to tidy it up. Um, yeah, I thought it was quite poignant when Susan said something along the lines of, um, "To Alice, you and Chris can overcome anything." And I thought, "Oh, I'm not sure that they can." And probably Susan is going to find herself doing a lot of, not childminding because it's her own um, granddaughter, but you know, in having a huge bit of involvement in raising the child potentially yeah it was quite poignant listening to <laughs> to that bit i mean royfield you're i mean obviously a lot of it's been about the effect that the the mother has on the on the child but i i was absolutely racked with guilt when charlotte was pregnant just worrying about the food i was feeding her all kind of like you know as i do most of the cooking so that, you know god knows what it's like being a mother you know just because i felt pretty bloody bad being a dad i've kind of Said said this before on Dumpty Dum some years back, but the best bit of advice I was given when uh, uh, Noah's mum was pregnant with him, Megan, uh, was that um, as a man, as a father, you do you are one step removed from the whole process because this new life isn't growing within you. That the mother has a connection to to the new child which isn't just um which is very visceral she feels sick in the mornings at at the start of the pregnancy then she feels the first kick she feels you know the child move etc so she's connected in a very obvious visceral dare i say 
gut way. And and though and you will feel somewhat um excluded from that. Doesn't matter how attached and how part of the pregnancy you want to be as as the as a new father. But just to appreciate um not only the birth, but with everything that comes afterwards, and obviously be there for your partner beforehand. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously saying that, but how a mother's instinctive love, concern, understanding for the child is far in advance of yours because it's been within her for, the, for those nine months, but how you rapidly then do catch up if you are kind of hands-on. So I completely understand the sense of powerlessness that he's gone through, you know, that Chris has gone through to a degree that he didn't know that Alice was drinking and then he finds out. And I think it's beautifully being captured, being displayed for us this week, the duality of him wanting to support his wife, but him also being angry with her that Alice's actions could have severe ramifications on the future of their child like and the fact that he can't direct his anger to her so on the one hand he wants divine intervention he goes to alan then he's angry with alan and he can't really explain why and then he then it all just comes out and i think how this storyline is really going to play out in terms of the child in terms of martha is there's going to be there's, there's going to be susan and jennifer saying oh you know she's 15 months she's not walking yet that's what it's going to be. And, and she's always going to be behind every developmental mark. But actually, in the end, she's going to be all right. But we're going to have the angst and the worry mm. from her parents. Chris is going to be angry with Alice, but he won't be able to say, you know, this is all your fault that she's, you know, it, she's two and she, she you know, you say two or three words type of thing. It's going to be much more subtly played than that. Mm. But there's going to be this ongoing tension. And I think that reason and that reason alone they're never going to separate not while she's small anyway that as much as that is going to create a tension between the pair of them they'll stay together because it's their secret even with oh, fetal my... alcohol syndrome it seems unlikely that the granddaughter of susan carter is going to be slow to talk i think she'll be <laughs> full sentences at 10 months old already you know what <laughs> Pete, Pete Ficklin, uh, you, you've put the tin hat on that. That was uh, an excellent reposter. Greetings all Dumpty Dummers, Roy Field and lovely co-hosts. It's Matthew here in northern Portugal, where I'm currently in end of semester exam marking hell. The only saving grace being that David, Brian and Elizabeth all feature in our standard listening exam. So that's been amusing me greatly. Yes. <laughs> and it's not without its technical issues. So I very much appreciate your saving the lost Dumpty Dum last week. And yes, that was a possessive pronoun with the gerund. So in Ambridge, God was very much omnipresent. Firstly, Alan was explaining to Shula that <laughs> guidance can sometimes be needed by the most entitled of people. To which Shula replied, can we please get back to talking about me? <laughs> Bell ringer Chris also called on Alan after bumping into him at the hospital, and he was enlisted in the signing of the Martha Carter. Incidentally, shout out to Alice for her choice of birthing partner. When she needed an early delivery, she went for the milkman. <laughs> I found the whole thing far less traumatic than the previous week's baby shower, during which Peggy had to throw herself off the barn roof. But that cover-up can't last forever. And as Peggy said, there's only so many falls a grandmother can have, to which Tony muttered, 
Hold My Trains. And the mystery of the mystery plays continues to permeate all things Ambridge, with the main mystery being how on earth is the casting supposed to be kept such a secret in a tiny community? Kirsty is now acting as Linda's enforcer, and her savage railroading of Clary was Sopranos-esque in its brutality. After all, King Grundy had only told Sabrina, Helen, Oliver, Ed, Emma, and Deep Throat DJ Susan. <laughs> Personally, I can't wait for the nativity. When the innkeeper is forced to upgrade Mia and Rex to the frankincense suite, with myrrh on the pillows and golden bedsheets, due to Joseph's threat to shit all over the inn's Facebook page. <laughs> Ciao, Genji. Stay safe. I'll brigade. Hey, Matthew, I um, asked him if he was going to call in this week on a WhatsApp today, and he went, oh... I'm struggling, wasn't much from this week's episodes, and I'm in exam hell today. And I went, oh, no pressure, don't worry, you sound really busy. So he's come up with that when very busy. He sent me his amazing audio clip during the week where he was doing a call and response. Yeah. With, with uh, Oh, yeah, with Brian Aldridge. Yes. So Brian Aldridge is doing it. So it's like uh, just basically saying English words for the, for the student to react to in their exam. Yeah, foot strong, focus. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so he, he's not lying. He has been he has been in exam hell. Mm. Um, the whole Kirsty thing where she's like, you're fired. That oh, was very, Jesus. very weird. I mean, what's the name? You, you, you're a big fan of the actress, Royfield, aren't you? But I mean, that was, I felt like she was sort of put in an awkward situation with that piece of script. The, the whole thing was, is utterly ridiculous. As uh, Matthew said, how can you keep such a secret in a small village? Also, mm. why do you want to keep it a secret? What, yeah. what benefit is there? And I suppose with all of the doom, gloom, fetal, alcohol syndrome, modern slavery, we need a little bit of light relief, but this was not the vehicle for the light relief. No. It's just yeah. the whole thing just was nonsensical. We talked about this, didn't we, Peter, about, you know, the difficulty between having a heavy storyline and then suddenly uh, slammed into the very, very silly yeah. And then back again into the heavy. And yeah, of course, there has to be light and shade. But the only redeeming factor in it is that lovely Linda is doing this to help Kirsty be distracted and have some sort of positive purpose to use her time upon. But yeah. I'd really rather not listen to it. Someone was saying that, um, I can't remember who it was the other day, was it, was it actually on last week's Dumpty Dum? That just yes, um, was it um, was it Philippa saying just yes she wouldn't be in the village? It was it was Philippa just saying she wouldn't even be in the village at all. She would have you know run to the hills. I think, I think, I you think were, you find that, that that was me, Peter. Anyway, so Philippa know. was wisely saying and using the saying about how um, uh, yeah it just wouldn't be happening. So yeah, we've all bought into the fact that Kirsty's sticking around, and mm -hmm. but it's just yeah, this isn't yeah it's just. It's just not none of it's ringing true, or mm. none of it's ringing true with any of my life experiences. Yes, insert and comment about the fact that I haven't been married. I haven't married a, <laughs> a slaver. Or well, Charlotte might be. If Charlotte is a slaver, she's hiding it very, very well. well. They do. I mean, they do. Nothing Peter. They yeah. Do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Kirsty. She still sounds like she's kind of coping okay with the fact that she was or is married to a slaver, isn't she? I did, I did tweet this, and then um, Jonathan Harvey, who's a right good writer person, he's written for Coronation Street and stuff, he's sort of a friend of mine. Anyway, he um, replied saying, she actually sounds quite mad. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, so in her sort of normality, in inverted commas, and not being a, a quivering mess, 
these things, that, these activities she's involved in are making her sound a little unhinged, I think. Maybe that will be the, 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 the end to it. I mean, she, the, mm. she not she's been driven mad. I don't, don't want it to sound like a Shakespearean play. Not yeah. that she goes, you know, actually mad, but no. she is, you know, she is within her envelope. She's going to push to the edge of that. Mm. Um, I was watching Louis, uh, Louis through documentary about um, when he sort of uh, was interviewing the, 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 no, the KKK, and then he was being interviewed about how he felt dealing with the KKK yeah. or dealing with these extreme groups. Groups. And he said, and it, part of it was, you know, the question: Did you? How do you feel about publicising them? And he said he felt quite bad sometimes because there had been a case where someone had seen this mm. uh, white supremacist who was in jail and was now his pen pal because they fancied him through watching the oh. Louis Theroux documentary. <laughs> and it, um, and at that and then that immediately reminded me of um, um, Kirsty and Philip. And maybe, I mean. I hope it doesn't happen, but um, a bit of me did think maybe they are revving up for a Kirsty not being. They have hinted at the fact that she is struggling to, struggling to completely put down her affection for him, and he was, in his own strange way, quite compelling when they met up, in prison. Ooh, I haven't, I haven't thought of that. I don't think she harbours any affection for him. Yeah, I, I mean, on. but she did. She did say to Helen that she was. You know that you know she sometimes wakes up in the morning and you know gets ready for their day together. Sort of, well, words to that effect. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, as I said, I, mean, to, 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 I want to repeat myself. I don't want this to happen, but no, you no, know, no. They're, they're, they have. There are a few of the, There are some subtle clues leading in that direction. Um, so maybe yeah. that's part I, of the problem. I guess you know, is it is it awful for someone to try to get on with a semblance of normality? after such a weird thing has happened to them. Well, we managed um, after that recording two weeks oh, yeah, ago, Kerry, to try and piece our life back together. And I think that's a fair comparison. I mean, that was an absolute yeah, shit it's show. practically exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, <it's> not <laughs> offensive no. to any of the downtrodden people on this planet whatsoever. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, talking about the downtrodden and their oppressors anyway, uh, we have on Friday the 26th of March, Andy Hockley, who goes by the name in this parish of Philip Moss on a Friday Zoom. So if you like a little bit of Zoom action, um, email me or if you're on Twitter, if you've got that universal symbol of, uh, of bunting next to your name, I will ping you the link. And if you are a Facebook person, you'll also get the link. Or if, of course, if you're on the Flick app, you will get the link for the Zoom. So that's going to be Friday the 26th of March at 7 p.m. UK time, uh, Andy Hockley will um, will all be able to give him a little bit of needle as to why the hell he decided to, well, okay, his character, it's not actually him, of course, <laughs> why uh, Philip Moss was the rat bag that he actually was. So uh, there you go. There's a note for your diary. And um, I don't know whether Ambridge Pony Club, Anna or Cheryl, will be on that call but you never know but you know what here is Cheryl now. Hi Royfield and I'm guessing it's a Kerry and Peter week it's Cheryl here calling for my walk in Cornwall. Um, obviously a huge week this week with Alice apparently on the precipice of, of postnatal depression and that dramatic birth however I think I've got to the number the two most important points uh, that have happened across the week. The first is does Ruth know that Kirsty has taken her husband up Lakey Hill. Uh-huh. I mean, just very odd, although obviously we do know that Kirsty's got a bit of a thing uh, for older men now. Uh, and the second one being, hmm. where is the gym in Jasmine? Wow. Hmm. They just said it was going to begin with J, didn't they? 
I think it's obvious. There's, there's a kind of it's like a sort of a um, an eaten mess of uh, vowel sounds. So Jasmine has kind of got Jim in there. Alan just said they were just starting the middle name with the J. Oh, I thought it was the jazz. The jazz from no. Jazzo is in, and then Jim is the kind of min noise no. at the end. No. So it's a, no. You, you've got no. <laughs> it's just the J, I think. Oh, I, well, I was quite pleased. I, I, I fully bought into it. I thought it all made sense. Me too. I, I thought that was quite clever, Jasmine, for uh, Jazzer and Jim. Mm. If you're going to pick someone to have a rebound affair with in the village, <laughs> it's not going to be David, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> no, it just is. I what I was about to say, but <laughs> I can't imagine David's going to give you a particularly exciting time. No. Does, no. does she want an exciting time? Perhaps she just wants to be held by David. Yeah. <laughs> <What? laughs> Robert even really snickering. But even, <laughs> even then, would he do? Would he do that? Has he got things? Not. No, I just don't. I think all all things that you can do in a bed, David's the wrong person to do it with. Whether it's just a night, whether it's spooning. <laughs> No, everything. Because he'd, you know, he'd be sort of. If you were watching TV, try imagine trying to watch Run Around on a Saturday morning with David. He'd be, he'd be. Oh, he wouldn't like that. Would he? he wouldn't like Mike Reed. No. Yeah. What about um, one of your other programs, Kerry? He'd be terrible. Mm, one no, of Royal your Field's other programs. Greetings, Royfield, and all the Dumpty Dum team, and all the Dumpty Dumbers out there. It's Jen Ambridge Pony Club here, just calling in to celebrate the birth of little Martha. That was a lovely episode this week and I'm sure Alice's birth plan didn't include that she wanted Jazzer as a midwife Jim driving in the back of O'Reilly on the bypass in Borsetshire but it all worked out really well and provided that Jazzer has actually washed his hands they might get some rather strange results on the um, microbiology when they get little Martha's blood test back and be wondering where all those strange fish bacteria came from but anyway she seems to be doing all right she's certainly got a good set of lungs on her Mum doesn't seem to be doing so well, though. I'm quite worried about Alice. She's showing clear signs of not bonding to the baby and or postnatal depression. The consultant seems to be just saying, oh, well, the baby's all right and doesn't seem to be getting any professional help from mum, which is a bit of a concern. Um, It was nice that they gave us the origin story there with Brian going around and saying how disappointed, you know, explaining to Jim how disappointed he had been that Alice wasn't a boy so there we go that's where all her problems stem from hopefully i'll pass that on to the psychiatrist for her um but yes premature babies i would have quite a bit of experience with those given that my lads were respectively five weeks and seven weeks early they're funny little things they need fed every two hours they do little tricks like forgetting to breathe um and they generally put their parents through hell and those are parents who are you know, haven't been alcoholics, don't have that to reproach themselves for and aren't in quite such a fragile state. So really hoping that Chris and Alice do actually tell the family and get proper support because otherwise we're heading for a fairly dark place. And I do wonder if the scriptwriters, having let little Martha off fairly lightly, are going to take all, all their wrath out on Alice. So fingers crossed the fates will be kind. Yes, Ambridge Pony Club. <clears throat> I was reading the tweets that you were um, in which you were describing the fact that your two were premature and the tribulations that that involved, uh, let alone the fact that obviously Alice is also struggling with alcoholism. And I was thinking, 
as I mentioned earlier, about the support that is available for such a situation. You know, um, where's the professional help for the mum, you've said, but does the did they know in the hospital about the situation? With... Yeah, I think they spoke to the doctor, yeah. didn't they? They had a conversation about it. I mean, I, I, we, we moved from the US to the UK, and so I, I sort of, we were there. We were in the US for half a decade, so enough time to sort of, you know, fall into a new way of doing things. When we moved back, it really sort of shone a mirror on how amazing the NHS is, but how, how it's built to, it's built to cater for, you know, the big problems, the frequent, the, the normal frequent problems. It's not so good when you walk in with kind of rare or, or, or difficult cases. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, that fetal alcohol um, syndrome is necessarily rare, but it's, you know, like it, when you when you kind of push at the edges of the NHS, it does start to wobble a little bit. And I can, you know, they do tend to sort of like, you know, and if 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 you don't if you if you you know if you don't make a big fuss, they don't tend to go looking for problems. Is that an unfair comment? Or yeah. oh, anyway, my point my point is is that if Chris and Alice aren't rattling the cage and saying, "Hey, we need help," they're not mm -hmm. gonna they're not gonna. I don't feel like they're gonna sort of yeah. make a huge effort to to offer it unless they pay for it, kind of thing. Do you think? Or... No, exactly. Yeah, because you know, like for instance, um, when you know when Alice was saying they said they needed help, they needed to, to go into rehab, and they're like, oh, maybe in a few months' time. That was that was with an urgent referral, and the doctor, mm -hmm. the doctor has seen the urgent baby tick. The mother is healthy tick. The dad seems supportive. I mean. Um, my friend, the social worker, she, you know, she when she was talking to me about um, Alice and Chris, she was like, you know, no, most most likely, that the you know the people who they could be they might be referred to will be seeing a lot worse and have a lot more urgent and yeah. kind of you know extreme cases to deal with. Anyway, yeah. I'm not going to be down on the NHS. I'm no, just, no. just I'm just thinking that yeah, why would the doctor? Why would the doctor be too worried? They seem fine, mm -hmm. so they probably are. A good point by Jen about Brian mentioning that he'd wished he'd actually hoped for Alice to be a boy that that was an interesting conversation it was like Brian Jim and Jazza over the fry up wasn't it yeah I quite enjoyed that bit as a bit of drama the three blokes around the fry up and talking about um the fact that Brian was at the birth of Alice at the top end as he put it and that Jim then said he wasn't even allowed into the room but he quite liked the fact that he wasn't allowed into the room and it just obviously highlights how think how times have changed yeah uh, I, was, I was asked if i wanted to cut the umbilical cord and mm. as i was trying to say no uh, i was being pushed across the room and scissors were being chucked pushed into oh, my right. hand so so i mean i didn't you know it's a bit like when you're in a shop and you that you know like you don't you end up buying something because you don't you know sort of almost too embarrassed mm. to say no uh, so i just thought i cut the umbilical cords and it was you know sort of i don't know like cutting a sausage or something's fine but yeah, yeah. um but uh, yeah and uh, but uh, brian was i mean yeah. brian is the least sensitive man in the world isn't he mm. i mean he he knows that everyone knows about rory and he's like oh yes well of course i was wanting a son and then jazza has to kind of point out yeah. he actually has a boy and he's like oh yes well oh, i guess oh, it worked yeah. out all right yeah yeah yeah, any man would love a son, surely, wouldn't they? And it's like, well, most people are fine with whichever gender it is. Yeah, it was interesting what Jen was saying about um, about dealing with um, premature babies. Now, I think Kerry, you you had a pretty easy easy time with your little ones, didn't you? When they yeah. was when you when they were small, we've been very very lucky. And it's, but I hear from my friends, you know, just have, you know, a lot of times having a healthy baby can be sort of like push mm. you right to the edge. They're definitely going to have a tough time, aren't they? Yeah. I mm. thought 
the juxtaposition of Brian with him saying that he wanted a boy. Mm. And then Susan honestly saying that Christopher being born with a hair lip. You know, we we always dress up um, the birth of a new child as being, it's always positive, apart from the the physical pain that, um, you know, the mother goes through. It's also a wonderful thing. And I just thought that it was just two little instances where mm. a certain amount of honest light is thrown onto being a parent and actually what you wanted and a lot of men do want to have boys not yeah. all men all of my guy friends says I bet you want a boy don't you and I mm. just said I, I just want it to be healthy but that was yeah. a, a popular thing and then also Archer's fans of a certain vintage who can remember the birth of Christopher that Susan did reject Chris yeah. And again, it's something which obviously she feels great shame with now. So mm. for her to admit that to Alice was a big mm. deal for her. You yeah. know, we don't always bond with our children. My mother didn't bond with my brother for months. She had crashing postnatal depression. And it's something which only recently she's been able to, to mm. admit. I just thought there was two little tiny little instances about mm. our hopes fears wants and actually how we react to our new children which just it's a certain le level of honesty and yeah. can't think of a better word than nice really it was great uh, that just, susan recognized that she that alice needed that conversation to happen yes mm. absolutely absolutely you know we don't all come equipped for parenthood from day one emotionally some of us are behind the eight ball and we and we always feel that we're not doing a good enough job mm. and so for Alice to hear that from Susan whatever Susan is she's a committed mother uh you know has got to be um somewhat of a help and uh, yeah. you know for her it's Anna she's a first time caller in her and she's from Northern Ireland hello this is Anna from Banbridge not Ambridge in Northern Ireland Mm -hmm. um, first time caller in her, long time thinker about actually doing it. Uh, so I'm a third generation Archer's listener, if that's such a thing. Having grown up with it always being on in my grandmother's kitchen and then in the car with my mum. And embarrassingly, we went to school in a car with a sticker on the back that said, Archer's fans do it twice a day, which at that age, <laughs> I didn't understand that. Anyway, I've been mm -hmm. listening in my own right to the Archer's for just over eight years and the story that caught my attention and got me sort of hooked in and listening every day was the Alice and Chris story about them um, moving to Canada to, for jobs and then Chris getting kicked in the head by the horse was in the head. It was an injury anyway. Um, and actually, it's Alice and Chris that inspired me to actually phone in this week. Um, another amazing performance from the actress of Alice and she deserves some kind of wee certificate sent in the post tour at the very least because it was incredible. I just was really disappointed, however, that they didn't call the baby Chardonnay. <laughs> yes, there are lots of gags going around about that. Aren't they? Uh, and Philippa was alluding to some of the possible names for the baby that were alcohol related. Third generation of Archer's listeners. That's good. I'm, I'm only yeah. second generation. But Anna, I always admire the first time caller in because I listened to Dumpty Dum for many, many years. Well, since it started and never called it, never plucked up the courage to call in. 
so well done for doing that. I know it, it's quite a leap to take. So well done for doing that. I'd really like to hear a bit more about the three generations of listeners. If you can give us a bit, if you call in again and tell us a bit more about that. Uh, Auntie Kerry, do you oh, have any emails? There are three this week. Um, so the first one is from Lady Garf Garth. And Lady Garf Garth says, hi, all. Um, I'm sure you've had lots of correspondence on how brilliantly acted last week's episodes were. But I wanted to add some insight into how Alice might be feeling. Like Alice, I'm the youngest child with quite a big age gap and my siblings are extremely successful. There's something very particular about being of the same generation as your siblings, but so much younger. You feel like you're in a goldfish bowl while the rest of the family look down and observe every move you make. Because of this, you feel as though you need to be perfect as you've had role models, and then in brackets, both seemingly positive like Debbie and less so like Kate, to guide you through milestones like school, university, finding love and becoming a parent. This storyline has made me realise that, perhaps unfortunately, I have more in common with Alice than I had realised. I put so much pressure on myself to be perfect after my daughter was born that my mental health nosedived and I was in a mother and baby unit for five months. My daughter is now two and I'm happy and healthy thanks to lots of treatment and support. I really hope the scriptwriters and editor paint a three-dimensional picture of Alice and Chris's emotional state rather than simply giving us the well-worn soap tropes which have been used to depict alcoholism in the past. Thanks for all you do. Oh, that's very moving. Mm. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you were saying earlier, Kerry, weren't you, about how, uh, what, you know, what what care is there mm. that's available to, to look after people in analysis situations. So, yeah. be, you know, it's it's good to know that that, I mean, we obviously, we don't know the details, but it's good to know that there is that, that option out there in, in, you know, if the, the circumstances demand it. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and that, um, you know, the, the position in the family and the expectations of you. Yeah. Uh, and the pressure that that then brings. Um, okay, the second email that we have is from the lovely Vicky Cole, and she R- says, Ryfield, you're supposed to say, yay, Vicky Cole. Oh, I love me some Vicky Cole. There you go. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Vicky says, dear Royfield and the team, sorry I haven't called in for ages, been a bit disengaged from the archers somehow, lots of the storylines have seemed tedious. And I can never think of wise and witty things to say like your other contributors. But this last week has been amazing. So exciting and brilliant acting. I've been listening eagerly early in the morning each day because of the time difference. I do hope it's not going to be too heartbreaking down the line, but I fear it may be. Poor Chris. My only gripe is the ridiculous business about keeping the play secret and then the thing with Clary and Kirsty. Sigh. Anyway, hope everyone is keeping well and safe. Vicky. Yeah, you, you said ridiculous with some, some venom there and really brought Vicky's email to life, Kerry. Yet again, more brilliant acting. I, have I had a fever dream 
Or do I remember it correctly that Eddie is in two separate versions of this play? Or if what? I just imagine that? What do you mean? I th- he, is Eddie, Eddie doing... is playing the shepherd, isn't he? I know. But is, he in, is he in the Darrington play as well? Is oh, this a I, I thought so too. I thought ah, so too. Is he? Yeah. So oh, yes, right, he, okay. he needs to be like a fifth columnist or some nonsense, isn't he? Yeah, I thought. Like, uh, thank you, because because no one's. I haven't seen that mentioned. I haven't seen it mentioned. But I remember listening to it being like, "This is absolutely mental." That that uh, you know this idea that Eddie Grundy of all people is sort of giving up not only his free time to star in the Ambridge um, performance, but also in the Darrington one as well. God, I've totally missed that altogether. I know Philippa made a joke, didn't she, last week about um, maybe somebody defecting to the Darrington one. Yeah, I didn't know that had actually happened in the. I think. Well, I think Eddie. I think Eddie's the the, the defector. Uh, the last email that we have is from Charles Pooter, and he's a very very favourite tweeter of mine. So I'm so glad that he's written in at last. Uh, Royfield did say that there were several emails from Charles and I've got this one to read. So thank you so much for writing in Charles. He's not really called Charles, but anyway, um, you'll find him on Twitter as Charles Pooter, which is from Diary of a Nobody, which is one of my top favourite books. If you've not read read it, I recommend it. Um, so he says, my Jazza tirade was thoroughly vindicated. So he must have done one of those. If it had been Shula, she'd have got down on her knees and prayed. Tom would have started running the numbers on a roadside birthing and kombucha business. Linda would have tried to persuade Alice to play Mary in some god-awful amdram. Philip would have signed the baby into a slave labour bricklaying contract before its head was halfway out. David would have sighed, when doesn't he? Jill would have started baking a nice fruitcake. Russ would have sat down beside her and woven an abstract woolen interpretive sculpture to commemorate the event. And Brian, well, we all know about his first inclination when a woman exposes those portions of her anatomy. (laughs) Thank God for Jazza, I say. (laughs) So his Jazza tirade was, I presume, which because I haven't seen it, Royfield, was it high praise of Jazza? To be honest with you, um, Charles went through all of the emotions um, with with Jazza and it was so many emails (laughs) with so many words that I I must admit, I kind of lost the thread um, on word number 3755. But he really didn't half commit himself to um, trying to get Mm -hmm. under the bonnet of Jazza and all of Jazza's motivations. Uh, But suffice to say, if you think of every emotion you can have (laughs) vis-a-vis Jazza, Charles had them in his three emails before the one you read out. (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks, Charles. Please keep writing, but maybe make it a bit smaller next time. Don't know. I'm trying to think of all the emotions to have about Jazza now. Mm. Mm. Right. So uh, there you go, folks. Uh, that's the first part. Well, the meat and potatoes of the show uh, done. Uh, now we have a social media roundup followed by tweets of the week. Yes, tweets of the week. And then uh, we'll have some stunning piece of music right at the end. So oh, don't we crack on. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So now it's uh, our Lillian and a social media roundup. Good morning, everybody. It's Lillian here with this week's social media roundup. Yes, I'm late again. It's Monday morning, slapped wrist. But what an interesting week we've had in the arches again this week. Alice giving birth. Who saw that coming? Certainly not me. Tony Gilmore declared that he was very surprised at how calm Emma was in the situation and how she managed to reassure Chris. Claire Asprey, in the meantime, said she wouldn't have been quite so distracted from the episode if she hadn't been thinking how many people would fit in Jim's car. Witherspoon wondered what was taking Jim so long to get back to them. Was it just that he didn't want to be there while the birth was happening? That's what a lot of people thought that might have been the case. Jonah Titchmarsh, on the other hand, wondered, had the scriptwriters forgotten that Amy was a midwife 
and he wondered what had happened to her. While Sandra was reflecting on the fact that poor Clary couldn't help digging herself deeper and deeper into the hole, Kirsty brought out her inner Alan Sugar and declared, You're fired. I was half expecting the theme from Romeo and Juliet to be played after that instead of the Barrett Green theme. Melly Merriweather, on the other hand, declared that she was halfway through the episode and already glued to the radio. Gosh, Melly, I hope you unglued yourself by now. Anyway, I think in a week where we've had such a momentous episode, I have been honoured that it has been my week to do the social media roundup. And I really do hope that I have done it justice. That's it for me this week, I'm afraid. So I shall speak to you all in a few weeks' time. Stay safe, everybody. Bye for now. Thank you for that, Lillian. As always, uh, thoroughly enjoyable. And I suppose we'll see you in approximately a month's time, if we don't see you, of course, on the Andy Hockley Zoom. Because generally, you, you kind of show up for the Zooms. Anyway, uh, that's that. Now, it Peter Fickling's most favourite part of the podcast. And uh, without any further ado, I'm going to hand the mic over to Mr P. Fickling. Hey, MC Pete, it's the Rippity Rap of the Week time. Um, so in <laughs> West Felpersham is where I spent most of my days. Is that not right, Royfield? We're not doing the Rippity Raps? Um, now these days? No, no, no. No? Uh, Though, you know what? You know, we are doing old school raps as a, as a bit of a thing on this podcast. And Brill Skill Phil is not mm. old school. She keeps it real. She keeps it up to date. Come on. Her flow is straight out of 1983. She spits rhymes like a mother flipping machine gun. <laughs> That's what I heard last week. <laughs> I mean, well, and that yes. was, and that was, and that was in between, you know, having to marshal you. She does a very good job at keeping you on straight and narrow, much better than oh, I think. Good. Being well, I, I, I tried to uh, keep mm-hmm. up with her, with her rhymes, the way when she was spitting on her bars uh, with my beatboxing, <laughs> which was completely early eighties, and I couldn't quite keep up. So she was going mm-hmm. at quite a clip at the end. But uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, Let's not get too meta and just talk about the podcast on the podcast. Okay. Let's talk about tweets. Okay. All right. So I tried to, my my (laughs) weekly attempt to wriggle out of um, Tweet of the Week. So in at bronze position, we have Kerno-Ian at Kerno27 and um, uh, Ambridge Pony Club, Jen, was um, getting everyone going with some um, limericks on Twitter. So I assume this is a follow-up to that. And he did one that was, there was a young man called McCreary who missed his vocation quite clearly. In the back of the Riley, he met a Martha all smiley. Now the tweet-alongs love him more dearly. Very good. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> yeah, so that was, uh, so there we go, in a bronze. And if I'm going to indulge myself a little bit. I'll get a light slap on the wrist from um, Royfield, no doubt. But um, at silver position, we have um, Jenny Prigg, at Falmouth Jen, who I think I've done before. But anyway, mm. um, not like that, Roy, filthy, dirty beggar. No, tweet of the week. <laughs> and, uh, and she is channeling me when she says, uh, imagine feeling lonely and depressed and then seeing St. Shula on your doorstep. <laughs> yes, so I saw that one too. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> 
So now I've got to... Um, mm. uh, okay, here we go. And in at gold position, the swell of the music. Here we go. Tracy Horribin at Tracy Horribin. Jim plus Jazza equals Jizzer. Oh, God, please no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the middle name Jizzer would have been yeah. lovely. Martha Jizzer Carter. <laughs> Yeah, that was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, folks, com. we've got stuff on there. We've got stuff like Tractor. You can comment on previous episodes. It's the hub, the heart, the beating centre. Well, beating centre? Beating heart of the centre of our community, uh, which is, uh, you know, dum-de-dum. So uh, go on to dumdum.com. Go and do stuff on there. Go meet and commune with your fellow dum-de-dummers and maybe purchase something from the shop. One way which you can support the podcast, and we talk about this all the time, is by going on to Apple iTunes, writing a review. Another way you can support, if you um, have the financial wherefore, if you don't, do not worry, is to go and support us by going on to patreon.com for the um, eminently reasonable sum of $2 per episode. You can uh, support this podcast, which means that we can get stuff done when stuff breaks or when things need to be paid for we can do that with your kind support now i did say last week we would read out a whole list of patrons cutting long story short i have run out of time good people but i will promise i will do it next week remember to get in contact you can send us a voice message via speakpipe on the website or leave a whatsapp note to 07957 167696 which is plus four four seven nine five seven one six seven six nine six if you are outside the UK. Of course, uh, Twitter um, is where um, the whole podcast started. You can find us quite simply if you're on Twitter by typing in at Dum De Dum. Pete Ficklin, how can people find you? Pete Ficklin. On Twitter. Kerry Warbis, how can people find you on Twitter? Um, I'm at Kerry Warbis, which is at K E R I. W-A-R-B-I-S. Just a note, folks. Uh, when you are tweeting about uh, the docudrama that we all love, use the hashtag The Archers with a capital T and a capital A. Thanks to our social media supremos, Cosmo for his podcast roundups, Mike Hatton for his character counts, Shambridge for her voices, and to Lucy V. Freeman. Slightly arse about it. I've completely forgot to mention Facebook. How could I forget Facebook? There's over a thousand of you good dumpty dummers on that platform having shits and giggles. Continue to do that, those thousand plus people who are part of the Facebook group. But why don't you join them if you're not part of the Facebook group? And of course, there's the Flick at Parsi. So big ups to you. Um, if you want to have dumpty dum in your pocket and in your purse, in your bag, in your knapsack, in your satchel, or whatever other carrying receptacle there is to have on your person, maybe a bum bag. There you go. Have them in your bum bag. Or even, <laughs> <laughs> why don't you quite simply go? Bag. Did you? I, well I bought a bum bag recently, yeah. Uh, do anyway, you know what sorry, I thought no. you just said, Peter? I thought you said, I am a bum bag. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, I bloody well feel that one. Go on to um, a place on your phone where you get apps, I know, Google Play Store, the iTunes Store, whatever, download, find the Flick app. Don't worry if it talks about sports. Uh, it's the right Flick app. Download that. Then just search for Dum Dum, and then you'll find us all talking away about just about everything other than to do with the archers. It's quite good fun. I quite like it. Talk about films. 
it's quite nice. Uh, we're just about at the end of this week's Dum Dee Dum. I think you'll, I think you'll agree with me. It's been a utterly fine episode. Mm. It's been, uh, you know, we've, um, I think we've, we've really given you value in terms of our insight and our wisdom when it comes to all things Borsetshire. So, and we're not going to spoil that now by ruining it with a dreadful piece of music or something hackneyed and cliched or just something which doesn't critically cut muster. Philippa, take note. So, Pete Fickling, you're a man who likens himself <laughs> as somewhat, somewhat somebody who is deep in thought and uh, sees himself as outrageous. <laughs> sees himself as Southeast London's Tony Morley when it comes to music. Oh my appreciation god! Of it. Oh my goodness! So, so um, why don't you have first dibs at that is play out music? I, I, not even Paul Morley or Tony Parsons, but some kind of bastard child of the boat. <laughs> there Tony you go. Market still Tony Morley. Didn't, didn't Tony Morley play for Aston Villa? He was a striker in the early 80s. That's the reason why I've conflated the names because Tony Morley. Is, Hilarious. Yeah, Tony I, Morley did play for Aston Villa. I'm footballer. so sorry. Yeah. When yes. I very cruelly you called you Paul Morley on the group WhatsApp chat the other day, I did actually toy with the idea of saying Tony Parsons first but I thought Paul Morley was an even more brutal attack so but well done for paying it back um I I think that um this week has been quite a moving week you've had um Chris um you know wrestling with being a new father Alice as well um Shula and Alan I think you know regardless of what you think about Shula there's something going on there um anyway so I, I thought a nice serious song um accidentally a martyr like a martyr by Warren Zevon it's fantastic Beg your pardon? Accidentally like a martyr, Warren Zevon. Tell me about this artist, sir. Warren, Warren Zevon, you definitely know him. He, uh, um, his most famous song is uh, Werewolves of London, Werewolf of London, one of the two. Ah, yes. Mm. He's David Letterman's, David Letterman's absolute favourite um, musician. Most famous in the UK when he, um, he a, bit like, uh, a bit like Johnny Cash, he released an album that he recorded while he was terminally ill called The Wind. And I think that got some good traction. I think but everyone um, knows Werewolves of London, don't they? Yeah, that, and and on the same that album as um, that that album's Excitable Boy, and there's like two or three songs on there. He's a bit like Ben Folds. He can go from being, you know, writing a kind of like a sort of tub thumping, sort of fun um, song, often with a story, to then writing something really quite poignant, sort of uh, maybe Leonard mm. Cohen esque. And what was the track called again? Sorry, I'm just looking. Um, Accidentally Like a Martyr, but I'm not entirely sure I got that right. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, that, that whole album is absolutely cracking. And actually, just so he looks a bit like me as well mm. on the album cover. Mm. Oh, The War um, on Drugs have done a cover of it. I like them a lot. Oh, I should, I should, I should give them that a go. And everything. Yeah. Oh, good. So this is Warren Zevon, Accidentally Like a Martyr. Mm. Well, um, whilst you pair were, were chatting on, I played a little bit of Warren Zevon in my ears. Uh, hmm. Interesting. There you go. Uh, next week, we'll have another dum de dum and the week after that, and the week after that, because we love the archers and so do you. Toodaloo, tatty bye, tararabit. The phone don't ring. No, no. And the sun refused to shine.
Gets harder. 